You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sending the Wolf. My name is Clark Wolf. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am in love uh, from top to bottom with today's episode. My guest is Louis Vertel. Louis is a one-of-a-kind human being. He is a writer on Billy on the Street. He is one-third of the Keep It podcast on Crooked Media. He is a friend, and he is truly a trivia uh, fanatic. He has been on Jeopardy and all kinds of other situ- trivia situations. And um, he is one of the most passionate film goers that I know. And he picked Rear Window. And I'm so glad that he did because this this movie is really an encapsulation of so many things that I think uh, let Lewis shine as a, as a film buff. Um, and, uh, and those include classic Hollywood and um, mystery and intrigue and analysis and all kinds of things. Um, um, so the only other Hitchcock film we've done on Sending the Wolf so far is Vertigo, which I did. That was episode number two, I believe, with Rebecca McKendry. Uh, but Rear Window is a little different because Rear Window is right up there in my favorite Hitchcock movies of all time. And I and I truly believe that it is one of his best. Um, now, I, it's easy to get distracted and forget how good Rear Window is because the concept is so fun. It's been remade a million times or it's been... Um, um, reimagined in so many different ways. Um, and uh, Grace Kelly is so iconic and James Stewart is so iconic. But I think that the filmmaking, Hitchcock's true mastery of the craft is so on display in Rear Window. Um, it, it truly is. It, I think Rear Window, Frenzy, and Psycho are my three favorites. But when I rewatched Rear Window this last time, I it, it, it really kind of shot up there for me in terms of my favorite Hitchcock movies. Um, and Lewis is a fan as well. And Lewis and I, we have a lot of, re- this is a really fun episode because we really dive into classic Hollywood and we dive into movie stardom and, um, and unpacking the legacy that all of that leaves behind. Um, and the Hitchcock of it all, of course. Um, so I, I think you're really going to like this episode. Lewis is super fun in his analysis, but he is just so gosh darn smart. Um, and before we get to the episode, I wanted to let you guys know something really exciting. It's kind of an announcement of announcement of sorts. So Sending the Wolf is going to be doing a live episode in June in Atlanta, Georgia. So uh, we haven't locked down the official date yet, but it will definitely be probably on Saturday, June 16th in Atlanta. And we're going to be a part of the Terminus Conference and Festival. So this is um, from Ideas United, who honestly I have been working with for over 10 years. I started working with them when I was in college. They have all kinds of fun events and brands, including Campus Movie Fest, which is the 
the world's largest student film festival. Um, but Terminus is a conference and festival that is a one-of-a-kind event for creatives in film and gaming. So I think that that's one of the things that's super cool about this. I hosted... Um, and moderated a panel with James and Sean Gunn, I think it was two years ago as part of the Terminus Conference, and it was one of the best experiences I have ever had, not just because James and Sean are so candid and passionate and cool, um, they are all of those things, but as somebody myself who writes and produces and is still up and coming in the entertainment industry, um, the way that they spoke about breaking through and, and getting these things going, getting projects going, and the industry itself was so unique and um, and they were really passionate and they gave their time and they gave honest answers and honest feedback. And that is something that the reason that I keep going back and working with Ideas United and doing their Terminus Conference, which I have done for several years now, is because they offer that kind of insight. It, it's really, really special and it's really cool. So it's taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, um, uh, June 15th through the 17th. And if you're a filmmaker, if you're a writer, if you're a fan, if you're if you're working in the gaming industry or the film industry, and let's be honest, we both know they're going to uh, intersect basically permanently. I think in the next ten years or so, um, this is this might be the conference that you a conference that you would enjoy. And if you listen to Sending the Wolf and you tell them that you listen to Sending the Wolf and that's how you uh, found out about them and you bought your all access badge, you get thirty percent off. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you just have to type in the code Sending. S-E-N-D-I-N-G, the wolf, one word, lowercase, uh, at terminusevent.com when you check out. I'm going to be there. We're definitely doing at least one live uh, Sending the Wolf episode. Maybe we'll do two. Who knows? Our guest hasn't been confirmed yet, but we are working on that. And if it's anything like James Gunn, um, it's going to be worth the price of admission. So that's something new that's really exciting. I can't wait to see you guys there. Uh, but before we get there, we have to get through rear, rear window. And um, this is one of my, this episode was super fun. I learned a lot. Lewis is, I'm so in love with him. He's fabulous and amazing and brilliant. So without further ado, here is Lewis Vertel talking about Rear Window. I love that you said gritty, <laughs> gritty children's movies. Um, so cool. All right. Here we are. All right. And we're going. And it's great. Um, so, Lewis, you picked a great movie. Let's, let's, I don't want to start diving right into Rear Window, though. All right. Um, I, I'm really happy to have you on the podcast. I wanted to have you. I'm so psyched to be here. I, I was thinking before I got here, there are a few people who, one, just have comprehensive movie knowledge that, like, gets my endorphins firing, but two, also the sensibility about that knowledge. It's just, I always want to hear what you have to say about oh. stuff, so it's so awesome to be here. Well, that's very sweet, and the feeling is truly mutual, and I'm so glad that you are here, because also, in addition to, um, you know, knowing about general pop culture, you have an affinity for classic Hollywood. Totally, yes. And, and I just wanted to kind of start by asking if that was something that you've had forever um, and you naturally reacted and responded to classic films or if that was something that came a little later. I think I've always had an affinity to fill in my timeline memory just when it comes to anything, trivia-wise, history-wise, history -wise, whatever. And 
when I was, I would say in middle school or something, I feel like a lot of people have this revelation where they're just like, I've got to see old something. I've got to, mm-hmm. I've got to know what, you know, the forties are about. I've got to know. <laughs> so you start picking out the kind of landmark things and filling in. I don't know if you've ever seen that 60 minutes where Marilou Henner talks about having a timeline memory where she's okay. No, she has like some sort of scientific advantage yes. on the rest of us, but I have a baby form of that where I want to know everything. Awesome. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I, I started watching them and I think, I don't know. They're just, it was a time, you know, specifically, you know, early Hollywood when I really feel like it wasn't just looks that drew you in. It was personalities that drew you Mm -hmm. in. And I feel like that's always what I've liked about Hollywood is being like, what is that thing about Betty Davis? Mm -hmm. What is that? Why is Susan Hayward so feisty? You know, it's like, I like solving people. And I found, I found that those personalities were the most interesting to solve. I, I, um, a couple so I'm a huge Liza Minnelli fan. Oh yeah. Just watched Cabaret again recently. Oh, isn't it so good? Oh yeah. And still so timely. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say the best movie musical ever. My number one. I would agree. And I always, I get into this with my friend Sam Levine because he says, I hate musicals. I hate musicals. And I, and we got it. He picked The Godfather for this show. And of course, Cabaret Ray was, you know, at the Oscars was the big competition for The Godfather. Right, right. And so he's like, this is, it's a travesty that, you know, um, that that Bob Fosse won over, you know, um, over Coppola. And I'm like, yeah, but have you watched Cabaret lately? And he was like, well, I've seen it. And I was like, okay, let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the thing is, we, as um, contemporary, uh, we are here in like present day, you know, we think of, Fosse and we think of this idea or we think of Liza and we think of this idea. We think of Arrested Development. Oh, honey, you know, like like crazy Liza, which she was always a character, but like this is a incredible movie and people don't really know that it's not a break into song movie. Totally. It's a a serious, it's almost this dystopian movie. Yeah. And it's While so, being historical, yes. <laughs> so it's so interesting to me because I think that people who say I don't like musicals, it's kind of, it's such a different kind of musical that it might be something that they could enjoy. Right, no, and, uh, sp- uh, specifically because the, I can't think of any parallel. Like it's so one yes. of a kind in that way. Like it, it saying you don't like musicals doesn't hold when you're talking about that movie because no other musicals like it. You know, it's true. Well, and so when I saw I saw Liza perform on Coney Island in oh, 2008, where she belongs, yes, <laughs> and she was on a double bill with. Christopher Cross. Whoa. And, and there was no Arthur crossover. That's really shocking. I know. I was shocked. By the way, too. she's very funny in Arthur. She's she's fabulous in Arthur. Yes. Arthur's a I love Arthur. Yeah, I love the first half of the movie more than the second, but I love it. Yes, yes. that's that's fair too. And on and I understand like in hindsight, you know, Arthur is not necessarily um the most palatable, like politically correct palatable right. film, but it's still hilarious and incredibly well acted and heartfelt. But that said, so it was like this free concert on Coney Island and Christopher Cross had not come out yet. Uh, so it was her first and it was the afternoon and it was hot. And honestly, she did something that I, I think is so almost impossible when she was performing, the audience was really listening to her and she talks in between and tells stories. And it is this true old Hollywood form of storytelling yes. that is almost gone. And and I bring that up because, like you said, you're attracted to these personalities. Like, who are they? And, but it's a different kind of acting, performing, talking even. Right, yeah, a kind of a schmooziness. You know who remind, that reminds me of, of Dolly Parton is yes. a lot like that, too, where it's like stories, but it's also like down to one-liners. That, and also that feeling of, 
I can't tell if this is a news story or secretly 45 years old. You know, that thing, too. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, she's uh, one of a kind. You ever seen uh, Sterile Cuckoo? Yes. Fabulous. Yes. I also love the song. Is that called Come Saturday Morning? I love that song, oh, too. Yeah. yeah. It's, she's great. She's one of a kind. Um, but so, yeah, but I think with the and with the old Hollywood things, you know, we talk about that a lot on this show specifically is the idea that sometimes you can feel if you're a fan of film and you're going through your your, you know, your lists or the things you got to see for a comprehensive understanding. Sometimes you feel like you're eating vegetables. Oh, yeah. Um, but there are really and truly, and I think Rear Window is a great example of that, which we'll get into more, but like there are films that feel completely contemporary and yeah. as though they could just be out, you know, with a couple of minor changes, they feel very modern. Right. I think that's actually the treat of going back to old movies is finding out the stuff that is secretly fantastic yes. because it's also one of those things where we are believing a handful of critical voices and we can't really tell if those are would be relevant now. You know yes. what I mean? Like the standard for what is considered like a viable critical voice has really changed too. Now they can be, say, women. Yes. You, you know, things like that. You know, like Pauline Kael was super revolutionary in that way. But uh, no, uh, uh, Rear Window is one of those movies that I think is like super rewatchable. Another movie that is not the second movie I'll bring up. So like They Shoot Horses, Don't They? is yes. a movie that I don't think people know anything about. You go and see it and you think, all right, it's like Jane Fonda's breakthrough kind of cinema movie and it is way better and I guess grimmer and even funnier than you expect you know and it's like that comes from a period of movies it's 1969 when I think a lot of that stuff is dated I don't think Easy Rider really holds up I don't think Charlie really holds up movies from that time so it's like like 2001 I'm even slightly on the mm -hmm. fence about this is not like that yes. so when you find movies like that where it's why aren't more people talking about this? You know, it's like when you find an old song that has an amazing beat that you you can't believe yes. everybody doesn't listen to all the time. Well, it's it's um what exactly what you just said is what I am finding through doing this show. I I did not set out to re-examine the list, but what I have found is that when I bring voices on or people or have these conversations, women, people of color, uh, you know, name it, like different people who are not represented in deciding what a class Right, yeah. And and what we find most of the time is that a lot of these movies really are classics and wonderful for a reason. But then sometimes, and we sort of touched on it in Ver the Vertigo episode, both Rebecca McKendry and I recognize that there were revolutionary director things in that film, but we both don't like it. And yeah. we both don't think it's the ninth greatest American movie ever and made. Only, and seemingly only rising. Like yes, for, it's exactly. the, It keeps gaining cachet for some reason. Even though for like a Hitchcock movie, again, when you look at Rear Window, as we'll discuss, it's like a pretty tight movie altogether mm -hmm. whereas vertigo has these detours and sort of abstract moments that i don't think add to what the story is about yes. or it's meant to air, add layers of intrigue where there aren't any so and also just the the fascination with like who is that blonde woman over there <laughs> i mean it's just like in kind of old-timey intrigue you know uh, kind of like a film noir interest in a woman yeah it, it's it's not it doesn't that doesn't hold up I don't think yeah I would agree so okay before we dive into Rear Window you mentioned it earlier and I, I have to ask because I don't know um, your love of trivia oh yeah deep. I mean it's so deep and you've been on Jeopardy uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, which I am endlessly fascinated by just because I I don't understand I don't know how you even prep for something like Jeopardy are there methods are there ways that you do that well okay it's become easier in recent years because there's this website called the J Archive which is just catalogs and catalogs 
of old Jeopardy games. Mm. And so you can literally go back to the hist- the beginning of the show and then like work your way forward. And then you realize there are uh, repeated motifs. They're like topics they come back to again and again. Like they don't ask so much about the Bible anymore, but when they do, you can basically guess what they're going to ask uh, about. Uh-huh. So it's like you learn sort of standard things in the way that you prepare for a test. You know, there's only so much they're going to ask you about South American geography. It's all learnable, you know. Um, and I think the hardest part is actually keeping up on new stuff yes. because then you don't you don't know how deep those questions will be. Like if they ask you a question about um, the Trump White House or something, and you know who who's in whatever position right now or what won the Oscar last year, where yes. it's like I've got the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s down, but it's like wait, when did Patricia Arquette win? Like I'm, I'm getting yes. the recent past straight, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I think, uh, and also just watching the show again and again keeps you up to date. And also it's just. It's super fun. I just, I always like learning a new thing, even if I don't give a shit about what the topic mm-hmm. is, you know, in the way that I think crossword people are the same way. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's so interesting. Well, it's funny because I remember uh, when we did a show on Hit Fix together and we had never met in person before. And I remember saying to you, I think I know you from someplace. And I think you th- you were like, oh, you probably saw me on Jeopardy, which is a viral moment and a wonderful moment. Uh-huh. But what it ended up being was our friend Ted. We have a friend in common. Oh, and yeah. you, you spoke at his roast for his birthday. Yeah. Yes, yes, and yes. And I was like, that's how I know you. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to really make fun of him. That was a lot oh, of fun. You yeah. were great. You were <laughs> you were great. And and that was so fun. But it's just such a small world. Oh yeah. Uh, in in this silly little thing that we all do. Particularly just... in NoHo, where we are. <laughs> yes. Broadcasting from the fiery streets of NoHo. <laughs> um, for the people listening, there's a fire outside my building right now, which I had to call nine one one about. But. I, we're good. We're yes. <laughs> Guys, she really did something heroic. So, I mean, congratulate her. I mean, yeah, please pat me on the back. I feel really good. Not those people who came and put out the fire. Actually, the DHL man, is that right, DHL, the delivery service? Yes. Okay. He. So, I was on the phone, and I was calling 911 across the street, and everybody was rushing over, and he, I, he hopped out of his truck, he had a fire extinguisher, and he just went over there and started putting out the fire. Wow. And he did it without, like, nobody asked him to. I, I, when I was walking back to my apartment, I saw his truck just parked on the side of it, like double parked. He jumped into action, which is like amazing. People who can be driven to do the right thing on instinct. What is that? I, <laughs> I'll never know. I don't either i took a picture of the of the culprit with my phone but i am the worst picture taker and then someone was like are you calling 911 i was like yes i'm calling now <laughs> but i and i wasn't like filming it or anything but i i was just like what do i do is this i actually stood there for 30 seconds being like did is this a contained situation <laughs> maybe I? he's helping the, the grass <laughs> This With is flames. on purpose. Yeah. Oh no. That shows what I know about life and anything. Um, all right. So, but as you you uh, very cleverly pointed out, that is, was quite a rear window situation. No, truly, you, you can see it from her house. <laughs> it almost feels feels like a stunt you've staged yeah. for me. <laughs> Welcome. Yes. Welcome to my <laughs> podcast. I have the fanciest podcast in all the land. Um, so, okay, rear window. Um, this is one I would love to start by asking you, and now I'm going to cough because, of course, fire. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, every one of these coughs is braver than the last. Thank you. <laughs> I think I'll hang in there. Um, okay, so I wanted to start by asking about Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Um, do you are you a huge fan of Hitchcock um, or not? I would say this. Uh, as I said, I had a moment when I was like uh, 
12 or 13 when I was, I, I, I don't know how Rear Window first came to my attention, but I knew it was the first Hitchcock movie I wanted to see. Mm. And I think it was, you know, when you're 12 and closeted, you're fascinated with things like Grace Kelly. What are they? Yes. What does she do? What is that? I was like, I'm familiar with her visage. So there's a Monaco uh, quotient <laughs> yeah. here. What, what's up with her? And so I, that was the first one I saw. And then from then on, I just started collecting them all. Like, I was like, okay, I guess I need to see Psycho or Vertigo or North by Northwest and all these. And... Uh, by virtue of having gone on a journey through them, I feel like I like him. And I, Hitchcock is a particular person, I think, where you do that thing we were just talking about, where you see a movie like The Lady Vanishes and mm-hmm. realize it's way, really underrated or foreign correspondent. Then there are others that are like maybe slightly overhyped, you know, Vertigo, as we just said. Um, but I like him because... He's just the, if you're going to introduce yourself to stylish directing, he's sort of an easy one to get into, I think. I think he pulls certain interesting things from his actors. Sometimes I think he underestimates them or or gives like boring roles to great actors. That happens sometimes. But I would call myself a fan, yes. Have you seen, I'm sure you have, um, one of the movies that I thought of when I was watching this one was Marnie. Oh, yes. Um, And Marnie, I watched in college one time and was like, I'm all set. I do not care for this. (laughs) I do not care for this movie. But um, this rear Window is a film that has a lot of themes yes. and a lot of not subtle themes. Marriage is one of them, uh, and psychoanalyzing or like the deeper, you know, like um, trying to explain away people and all of that stuff. Yeah, voyeurism. Yeah, exactly. And and you know, Hitchcock was kind of fast. He was not interested in psychoanalysis. Like yeah. he has a big. And so when they were talking about it, especially earlier in the film, I was kind of like, oh man, like he'd made a whole movie about this. It's yeah. called Marnie, and it is. <laughs> Is weird. Yeah, well, Marnie also has the most maybe dubious scene in Hitchcock history with the uh, Sean Connery rapey. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, literally, it's just so you've assaulted our lead character it's now. It's very weird. Well, yeah. and it's, yeah, it's, Marnie is not, as I said, not my favorite. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really get exposed to Hitchcock. I, well, I did through the, you know, be always being a fan of movies, um, but my parents didn't really show me old movies so much. Yeah. Wizard of Oz, yes, of course, um, but it wasn't, like, I had Alicia Malone on here and her father showed her classic films since she was a small child. I literally wonder how she has seen so many movies. Yes. It's, it's almost scary. Her father, it's a, it's a fascinating, she is such an interesting person, but her upbringing, her father was a was either a literature professor or something like that, so he was very well read um, in terms of books, but also with classic film and would sit her down and like they would watch classic films Yeah, together. so it was sort of regimented. Yeah. Exactly, but with Hitchcock, I knew about uh, the very pop culture sensibilities, meaning um, when we would go to Universal Studios and they had the psycho experience. Oh yeah, where like you can ju- dress up as you know Norman Bates and do all the things. Right. And, and um, but th- but that was kind of it for me. Um, but he's just kind of there. He's he's there as you and and I feel like everybody who's interested in film experiences him through a different way. But ultimately, they have to come around to him. You can't. Yeah, right. You know, like you have to do that research because he was the rare case of somebody who was mostly super popular throughout his career and then also like given credit for being an actual artist. So it's like, it's like Salvador Dali or yes. something. You've got to, if you're, you know, if you're into art, you're going to run into that period. Yeah. Well, and he also, in, in he put himself into the mix. So it's like he was a, of course, you know, we knew who directors were and, and, you know, throughout, I guess throughout time, but he was kind of a celebrity in and of itself. Totally. And then he had like a TV show and like right. you knew the profile. And so he was an icon, a behind the scenes icon, which we didn't have a lot of. Yes. Um, but this one, you know, rewatching Rear Window. So I went and saw this movie uh, again 
and at a Cinespia screening in the cemetery a few years ago. Oh, how did that go? And it it was, seems like it'd be a good fit for that spot. It was fun. It was hot. You know, it's a summer and you're out there with your picnic and your wine. And, um, and you know, this is a very visual film. So yes, the dialogue gets a lot done, but there's also long stretches where there's no dialogue. Yeah. And so for just like being out at the picnic and sort of hanging out and watching, it actually really worked. Yeah, and also it's a movie that lacks... There is a score, but it's really off. It's silent a lot of the time. Like, so you're really fixated on the where's Waldo of the movie, like peering into, you know, different corners, you know, so I imagine blown up on a screen. That'd be really exciting. It was really exciting. But the thing that stood out to me the most about this movie and continues to stand out, it's like the the star of the show is Grace Kelly. Oh, yeah. It's it's her best performance by a mile. She's so good. She's so good. And um, actually, I wanted to ask you, I've never seen the country girl. Yeah. Is is that because I was doing a little bit of reading um and that's the one she won the oscar for and beat uh, judy garland yeah, and did. also uh, dorothy dandridge and Car- carmen jones so yeah that was a tough year yeah um but uh what do you do you think that performance you like this one better uh but yes they're different well i would say uh hitchcock i think weirdly understood grace kelly in a way where he knew that she was fascinating because she was obviously a supermodel mm-hmm. but she also has this sly command and intelligence and also a sly wiliness. Yes. And I think, you know, it's like where maybe she can get away with something. And uh, in this movie, she gets to have that dimension where I would I would compare her in this movie to, I'm sure you've seen Phantom Thread. Yes. But uh, Vicky Creeps in that movie starts off seeming just sort of like an aimless ingenue in the life of this, you know, this acclaimed artist type. And then eventually she, she can't wheedle her way into his life this way or that way. And then she says... I'm just going to put myself directly in your line of sight and prove you I'm ju- prove to you I'm just as twisted as you are. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does in this movie, yes. right? You know, she she's like, "All right, I'll help you figure out this murder. I have my own ideas about this mm-hmm. murder and you're going to follow me now," yes. you know. So, uh, I think it, she she gets the most to do in that in uh Rear Window. Uh, Country Girl is a strange movie because she is she plays a very muted character, like mm-hmm. a wife who's had this tragedy happen to her and Bing Crosby is her husband. Wait, that's right. Yes, which is already problematic. He sucks. <laughs> But uh, uh, she has a big monologue explaining to him why he sucks at the end, and I guess that's what made people sympathetic to her. It's sort of like a Nicole Kidman in the year of the hour. She was in so many movies uh-huh. that year that she was like the star to award. Yes. You know? you know, it's, and I think the Nicole, so I actually wanted to ask you about this because the Nicole Kidman comparison, as I get older, and I think as Nicole Kidman gets older, she does such weird, awesome roles. Yeah. She takes it like, and people, and I say this so many times on the podcast, but it is true. I feel like she, uh, people think of her as this stunning movie star who's so pristine and like, and very, fr- and you can't touch her. She might break. And, yeah. When, when in actuality, like you watch something like The Paperboy or Big Little Lies or, you know, and you're just like, God, she is, she's awesome. Like yeah. fearless. And, and also like convulsively emotional. Like she's not like this, there's not like an aloofness to yes. when she performs her. I, I usually say like, uh, she's the kind of person who looks like she's in an Excedrin commercial all the time. <laughs> and it's like, but she does weigh more than that. I was, I'm sure you've seen Birth or uh, Margot at the Wedding. It's like, uh, or what's that, uh, Killing of a Sacred yes, Deer recently. It's I like, love. this is somebody who is willing to be really weird. Yes. You know what I mean? And freak you out with that Stoker movie. I mean, she's just, her her dimensions are endless and uh, I always say it's like, people call her underrated but it's like, no, she's just in a lot of movies that men don't care about. That's very true. You know? That's very true and I think, um, but when when I thought of, I thought of her a lot and I know, you know, I know she played Grace Kelly in that weird movie oh, that, yes. that came with in With Milo Ventimiglia, by the way, in Grace really? of Monaco. Yes. Who, who, who was 
is he? He's like an assistant-y person or something. He doesn't have a big role. Also, Parker Posey is in that movie, which no, people don't understand. Kidding. Yeah. And well, who wait, somebody really funny was her husband. Uh who played her husband? Oh yeah, who is Prince Rainier in that? It's somebody it's somebody really funny. It's not like Oscar Isaac, but it's It's not like Toby Jones or something. Yeah, no, no, not that funny. Uh no, I don't know. Maybe it'll come to me. But anyway, the point is that um I feel like in this movie, you know. She, Grace Kelly is doing do she she's just such to me a, a complex character. Lisa is a complex character and the way that she's set up um, and the way that James Stewart talks about her character before she walks in, you just if you didn't know she was in the movie, you'd think it would be I don't know, Midge from Vertigo yes, like right. walking yeah. in when when it's just this wonderful and I also really liked how so they, they want us to know that she's privileged. They want us to know that she's wealthy. They want us to know she's a socialite. She entertains. She's whatever. But anytime she's talking about herself, the dress, the whatever, you know, um, and something more important happens, it's not like she kind of looks across the way and goes, yeah, yeah, okay, no, I see it. Anyway, can we get back to my lovely dress? Yeah. Like she's interested, she's inquisitive, and she sees beauty in everything. Beautiful music, beautiful gowns, beautiful art, beautiful food. And he's just like, rah, rah, rah. Right. And it just, I don't know, it, it's, um, it's, there, there's a complexity there that I think when we think back to Grace Kelly, we don't necessarily think of. Right. I also, specifically with those two characters, like the way she plays it, again, there's like, even just the way she walks into the room, even the, the way she like, yeah, walks around, like sort of criticizes him, sort of takes his criticisms. There's like just a casual self-possession about that character where I can't even tell if that's really written in. She yeah. really is adding that dimension. Just like, I feel like a lot of the time he'll say things to her, like when they're having that conversation about Girl Friday and how like, and then he goes, well, you never marry the girl Friday. It's like, that's like cruel. He's mean and, to her. And yet it, the way he plays it, it's it's still cruel, but you, you almost think of it as just like, all right, he has this avuncular quality where he doesn't mean to be that devastating. I don't know, but it's like on the page, it's really mean. Yes. So it's like, I, I really give them both credit for finding levels that make their relationship somewhat believable and and I'm not mad on her behalf necessarily. You yeah, know? yeah. I, it's, it's weird too, because I feel as though he... Um, he, I don't know. I have, every time I watch this movie, I get more and more mad at him mm -hmm. because he's such a dick. I mean, just every little thing. And she's trying to be nice to him and she's trying to take care of him. And she's also trying to, you know, it frustrates me that he just, uh, he hates his life. And so he's saying, so you could never like live with me or you could never yeah. be with me. And it's saying, it's don't pick on her because you are unhappy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, right, right. And also at the beginning, he's having the dialogue with uh, Stella, his housemaid played by Thelma Ritter. And there, and she keeps trying to explain to him that she is this great person with like a, a lovely life or whatever. And he is basically just rolling his eyes. You know, yeah. it's like you, you haven't justified one time why she's annoyed, like holding her perfection against her. It's just like, I mean, it's truly a women can't win moment. You know? Oh yes. You know? It's brutal. Um, but there are a lot of really cool characters in this movie. Some that never say a word or yeah. if they do, you know, it's very, it's very brief, but, um, that's another thing that, that, you know, and, and I'll be openly, um, critical of Hitchcock sometimes, but this is not, this is one where I just feel like you really see why he is the, the greatest. Yeah. Why you, why greats. it's fun to like him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't know, you've lived in New York for a little, you've lived yeah, in New York Yeah. Last before. year I did for a little while. Yeah. yeah. And uh, were you there during the summer? 
I was there up until the summer. Okay, so yeah. you got out just in time. Literally, my last two days there were so disgustingly hot. I it was like it was sent from an angel that I got out that day. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. Uh, I I just love um, the setting because you really do feel like you're there. Totally. And 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 if you have ever experienced one of those New York City summers where you just cannot get cool, it is it, it's just this perfect like it, it's a it, it really transport you there. He did a great job. And also it it justifies you know the uh, uh, the look of the movie right that all these windows are opened everywhere yes. you know it, it like it makes that scene happen in a way that doesn't feel like a stretch really because yes. it's like in that time you obviously would have your windows open all the time um, right well so and that's another thing I wanted to bring up so uh, in this podcasty world that we all live in now yes um, true crime is having a moment quite and girls loving true crime is having a moment the moment the yeah. moment and um at, but what I loved was it is the it's it's uh, Lisa and um, oh my god I'm blanking on her name Stella uh, yes uh, they they dive into this so hard yeah. they're like we're getting a shovel let's go this is gonna be great and I thought to myself wow this is kind of exactly the true crime fascination and women having a true crime fascination that we are all kind of talking about now completely well, but back in the 50s right also I think one of the main joys of the movie because this you take this for granted at first you, you nothing about the movie indicates this is going to happen is realizing Lisa and Stella are going to team up yeah you know because they are different arms of the movie kind of Stella's just saying why don't you like Lisa okay I've got to go and Lisa doesn't even talk about Stella right so for them to then merge minds and be like well we've got to get down in the garden well we've got to see what's down there you you know like immediately they are like ping-ponging back and forth so hard and that's maybe the most dynamic relationship in the movie yes you it's know? well and also the idea that it it kind of just hit me actually. We we know the whole time throughout this uh, throughout the movie that Lisa is a is a socialite. So people know who she is. Yeah, she's kind of a gal out on the town. And so I guess the whole time, because I was thinking when I was listening to Stella talk about Lisa and, and tell you know tell Jeff like, oh well you know uh, why why wouldn't you want to marry her? She's only beautiful and perfect and successful. You think oh they must know each other? No, she knows who she is. Right. Yeah, she understands the idea. Of yes. Her, yes. And so the idea that uh, this lady. Lady who's in a married lady and in her, you know, late and a little older and uh, and just an insurance nurse, just in quote fingers, but yeah. um, is teaming up with this socialite that she's only ever heard of to get a shovel and go dig up a dead body. Like that must have been the most exciting thing that ever happened. <laughs> no so kidding. Much. And by the way, they're immediately on the level with each other. Oh, there's totally. there's no like condescension on Lisa's part, you know. So that's in, in, in a way that feels real that they would just be like. Well, we got to figure this out, right? Yeah. Well, that's something that I always actually really loved about Lisa is that she could, you know, we touched on it a little earlier, but she could so easily uh, be be kind of like, okay, whatever. But she's she's kind of she's kind to everybody. Yeah. She's kind to her lover, but she's also kind to Carl, who comes in and brings in the dinner. Yes. And you know, she's like, here, you know, oh, thank you, and right over there, and I'll take that, and let me help you. And but she's she's not she's not the socialite who says. Yes, yes, go set that up. I'm going to just go sit over here. Right. You also, specifically, uh, one time I interviewed, who was it? Todd Haynes. It was uh, for a movie called Carol, I assume. We're I, all in Cult of Carol. And, and I know you love Carol. I have a problem, yes. <laughs> um, it is called Carol. Uh, but uh, I was just, uh, I, one of the questions I asked him was just like, 
tell me why I like this so much. Like I wanted to yeah. explain to me like the, what, the trance of this movie. And he goes, I'm super interested in movies where you can see women think. And yeah. then you realize that you take that for granted, that you don't always get that. And I think specifically in this movie, you get a lot of Lisa thinking. Mm. You get a lot of her looking out. There's that moment where she realizes a murder has occurred and she goes, tell me everything that you yes. saw. Like she suddenly is like keeping a tally of everything she has to know. And I think it's moments like that that really give her... Uh, I guess gravitas for lack of a better word, but just that feeling of she is maneuvering. She's yes. not just his, uh, you know, sort of accessory to help him figure things out. She's got her own mechanism going, you know, so that's really exciting to watch. And she's really good at illustrating that. Like I'm having multiple thoughts right now. Am I doubting myself? You know, that all that, you <laughs> yes. know? All right. So, and uh, we've talked, I will, I'm sure we'll keep talking about Lisa because why, how could we not? Uh, but okay. So James Stewart in this movie. Yes. Um, do you, what, what is your reaction to the James Stewart as a Hollywood icon? Do you have any personal, feelings about him his work like how do you see him it's interesting because it's fair to say he's been in like a ton of movies that people still really do talk mm -hmm. about you know Philadelphia Story and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington all the Hitchcock movies it's weird because he's somebody who was just allowed to basically play himself mm -hmm. which uh, there are plenty of people I like for doing that I think historically it makes him less interesting to me to be fair, I am more interested in, shall we say, the Scotty Bowers version of history where everybody's like a lurid um, affair having, yes. you know, you know, Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy are each other's beards. Like, I'm into that yeah. world. So when he's just like this, you know, all-American, faithful to his wife, you know, we all agree he's a wonderful person for playing one role throughout his career. There is a little bit of a stagnancy there for me. That And, and he eventually at the end of his career was like writing poetry books. Obviously, I don't care about that. But um, I would say he was good at what he d did while generally not fascinating. Yeah. And and he was so, um, I've, I don't know, you know, who knows how much of it is true or not. But during the time where he was prevalent, um, there were so many, there was a lot of social change happening. Yeah. In a very um, well, and Hollywood has always been associated with being liberal. Um, I don't know if progressive is the right word, Probably but liberal. True. Yes. Um, and and there are stories of Gregory Peck, you know, being very involved in the in in progressive causes. Um, and there are stories about James Stewart that I've heard or I've read that he just was not like he wasn't into women doing things. And yeah. he wasn't really, <laughs> I'm not really into Jewish people. Not into them. Yes. Well, I, I, I'm sure he's not as bad as say like a John Wayne where if you look back at the quotes he's like well if we're being honest Hitler's doing something fine or whatever he fucking said but um yeah you're right it's just that's gonna make him not as interesting historically as someone like Paul Newman who was way more right. progressive you know uh, or even just actors as they got into 70, 70s and 80s um but uh, I mean, like, what's that stupid movie? M Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation or oh, whatever. It's sure. like he can be cute in movies. If you look back, I think he's probably he's he's good with a dry comic delivery mm -hmm. that will, I think, keep him timeless. But you're right. I mean, I'm not going to I don't think we're going to look up and see any actual Mr. Smith goes to Washington moments from him. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's so gosh, it's so it's hard for me. I mean, and I shouldn't I shouldn't feel this way um, because I'm an adult and I live in Los Angeles. and I know how the business works and the dream factory and all the bullshit mm -hmm. that comes along with it. It, but it 
it has tainted my opinion of James Stewart. And it's not, but I want to be really clear. It's not criticizing him for being conservative. It's just criticize. It's just um, not palatable to me or enjoyable to me to watch somebody um, who is supposed to be America's sweetheart and just know that he, he just was just, it's not even about not being progressive. He just wasn't, it seems like he just wasn't a cool guy. Mean. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. He, he know, wasn't, he, I mean, obviously he had a platform and he did, wasn't elected with it you know what yes. I mean it's like and so many people were most of the women were you know I mean like any interview with Betty Davis was you know more progressive than anything he ever did yes. you know almost necessarily that was like her currency she got to be she had to be feisty in order to stay alive in true. the game you know true I guess and I think when I, I watch it it's a wonderful life every year I really do love that movie um and uh at Christmas just like everybody else does but it's sometimes I watch it and it's just and I think like he's so sparkly in that movie it's kind of it really you know, it remains to be seen, but Jim Carrey comes up a lot on this podcast too. And the idea that Jim Carrey has lost his sparkle so to me. Yeah. Um, and James Stewart, I understand the roles he's playing are different, but he doesn't sparkle later in his career. He just yeah. seems just um, hardened. Hardened. Yeah. That's a great word. Well, also, I mean, like Jim Carrey is a particular. I would say Will Smith is actually similar too, yeah. where they used to have a vibrancy and a sort of like you know, hands up, like, let's have some fun quality. And particularly Jim Carrey has fallen down this wormhole of doesn't understand he is incredibly self-serious. And also, meanwhile, appearing on red carpets and telling women correspondents that they're the ones who have fallen for bullshit. You know, it's like you are the epitome of a Hollywood person right now, and you think you are somehow outside the system. It reminds me of... I'm like a deep Madonna super fan. I was actually going to bring her up in regards to Rear Window. But, like, when she gave that speech saying... David Bowie's my hero. And I realized there were never any rules for someone like David Bowie. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's the women, it's, it's the people of color who've actually had to overcome boundaries and be uncomfortable for people, mm-hmm. you know, whereas like David Bowie could do anything and you'd call him a hero, you know? That's true. That, so what is the connection to rear window? Uh, it is this. I, 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 I here this we go. Is, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm in. Um, I, I just feel like Lisa's moment when she's digging in the garden with Thelma, or pardon me, with uh, Stella, played by Thelma Ritter, <laughs> and she decides to uh, climb into Thorwald's yes. apartment. Is this what I would call a Madonna moment, which is to say, I've always felt the electric thing about Madonna is she knows she is being watched, but she'll tell you what you're going to watch. Yes. So, she's, so, lit- so Grace is down there, you know, just doing what she's told, and she goes... Actually, I have my own ideas. <laughs> and he is immediately freaked out. What is she doing? What is she doing? In the way that Madonna will then, she, oh, you think I'm sexy? I'll show you sexy. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm as twisted as you are sexy, you know? And so for Grace to get up in the apartment, to get to the heart of the matter, to be, you know, uh, to, to, to be a por- part of his voyeuristic fantasy while ruining it. Yes. Just feels super transgressive to me mm. and fun and human Mm -hmm. and just rad as hell so it's like that moment she becomes more than an intriguing person and a real person yes you know and there are real stakes the fact that she doesn't get out like she gets caught right and and he catches her and she's like i gotta face the gun but she but she got the ring yes you know still working yes that's right (laughs) still working i can handle myself it's like yeah and and especially making that is what okay making jeff watch her handle her shit. Yes. It's like, I, it's not, she's not proving to him that I am more than just a socialite. She's showing him 
hello, I've been telling you, I am more than just a socialite. Right. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for me, and I am handling my shit. Right, she's indulging his vision of what she should be doing while like superseding his expectations and and changing the game. That's right. Like you thought you wanted this one thing and maybe you did, but I'm going to prove that I'm better than that thing you wanted. Yes. You know? Yes. And and also I just love how helpless he is. You know, yes. that that is just so uh you know, and that's a theme that runs throughout the whole film, but his helplessness in in this situation, he can't do anything. And also there's a scene before that where the the scene where she's in the apartment with him and she's talking about what basically her feminine intuition has led her to believe. Yes. And she's like a woman uh, wouldn't carry jewels in her handbag this way. And then right after that, he gives her this like approving look and then he's like, get in my lap. And they like hug for a second. Like approving of like her having ideas in exactly the box she's supposed to have mm -hmm. them. You know, nothing about that is challenging him. It's just adding to the vision he already has about what's happening. Yes. So when we finally get to the point where she's like, actually, I'm in charge of the narrative now, et cetera, it really does feel heroic. And also his terror is... It just it, it's something Madonna would laugh at. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yes. like, oh yeah, you are helpless now. Now that I'm in charge. Yes. You know? So I also noticed in this movie is that she and so there's glamorous Lisa, and then uh, Stella is like you know wearing what I, what I'll call a house dress or sure. whatever. Mind you, she is still pretty glammed up. Oh, Her yeah. hair is fabulous, and she is wearing like a fire engine red lipstick. Yes. Matching Lisa's the entire time. So I don't really understand that but yeah, uh, you know. she's putting her face on to yeah, go to right. well yeah no but it's I actually noticed that too because the costuming in this movie um it's you know um Stella is not dowdy and she's not like I'm just a housewife and I'm an insurance nurse and whatever fine she she her clothing is beautiful at least to me anyway. yeah it, well it's like it, this is definitely an Edith Head movie the uh the things uh Grace Kelly is wearing not just the glamorous dresses but there's even one part where she's wearing I'm gonna call it like a business outfit of the time, but she's wearing like a, a greenish yes. coat, a very Chanel, yes. like in quotes. And it, it's just like what, uh, Tippi Hedren wears yes. in the birds. It's, you can't take your eyes off of it. And if you think about it for a second, it does seem, I mean, I got, obviously her job is model and socialite. So it works for her, but it is so on point that it is wild. Uh, oh, I mean, she takes that jacket off and she just tosses it. That was what yeah. first, I noticed that. She takes her beautiful coat off or that, that jacket on that suit and she just goes, Phew! And I was like, oh, oh God, that's, hang that up. It's yeah. going <laughs> to wrinkle. But then to find what's underneath it is this beautiful, I don't know if it's silk, but this beautiful halter that just fits. I, she's just. Yeah, it's like sleeveless and yeah, this white. And yeah, the whole wonderful. back is exposed. And um, and I just, it's, it's um, it, that could be its own outfit in and of itself. And to, to get dressed in the morning, to think about her getting dressed in the morning. Yeah. I'm just going to put on my beautiful silk halter top yeah. and then the top of my, I just, I don't know. I, I, it was, yes. I, people put a lot of effort into the way they dress. Totally. No, she is. I, I, I think that's maybe the, the number one interesting thing about this movie are the levels of intrigue and magnetism about her. Yes. That it starts with just a look and ends with, um, an attitude and a drivenness that you would never expect and that the other characters don't expect. Even Stella doesn't expect it. No, and well, and the the final moment of the movie, I'm I'm reading the book I should be reading. Just kidding. Where's yeah. my Harper's Bazaar? <laughs> it's it's just that that's a really Do you know what that reminds me of too, uh, in this movie? It's like uh, it reminds me of Samantha Stevens in Bewitched, yes. where it's that she she's like everything 
I do make everything better, but you also don't know everything I'm doing. Uh, yes, that's <laughs> right. Well, and uh, yeah, that's such a good that's such a good analogy because she Samantha Stevens specifically uh, is always getting into mischief, always caught, but not like Lucy got into mischief, right? Like, not like a foolish mischief. That's right. Yeah. And it's well, and it's also always because she's gonna do what she's gonna do in her, and she's got to kind of go, okay, honey, whatever you say, and then now I'm gonna go do the thing I really want to do. Oh shit, I messed it up. I gotta fix it. Right. Yeah. I know you think you run everything, but I actually know how things are run and will now run things over here. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. I, oh man, I would love to see specifically Samantha Stevens and Lisa Fremont in a movie together. Oh my God. Solving crimes. Elizabeth Montgomery, just in general, one of the great celebrities ever. Just like that, just that cool, very unusual for a sitcom character to have that kind of level of fun, saucy intrigue. Samantha you know? Stevens is, is, I would, we, if this was a TV podcast, I could just do hours on, yeah. on Bewitched. And she was also just super progressive she was in the gay pride parade yes she do i i was always a bewitched you know when i was a kid nick at night was a thing and oh, so right. i was always a uh, i was always bewitched i was not on board with i dream of genie it is very shocking i mean because you bewitched is a show that is has subversion in it yes. right and then i dream of genie comes and it's not subversive no. it, and but while meanwhile it's trying to copy bewitched which came first right you know it's it's bizarre it's totally bizarre um and okay so what are are there any is there anything else that stands out to you about uh, rear window i feel like we could go for forever about this movie but um is there anything else that stands out um i will say in the final scene has any shirt been a better color than what Grace Kelly is wearing in the final moment, which is like oh, this pinkish coral? Yes. It must, it, that must be one of those sh moments where when this movie gets restored for the 50th time, they keep adding to that color because it truly is like this wild Huntington Gardens pink. Yes. Just this amazing look. Uh, but also, I, I, I think of that, about this movie in reference to other Hitchcock movies all the time, and I still think it is the number one best because it's the deepest of his movies mm -hmm. while also being the least pretentious. Yes. Because it's a, it's a movie that makes anybody feel like they could be in film school because you're like, oh yeah, there is a voyeurism element here. There is a feminist aspect here. There is, you know... Uh, suspense and there is skepticism just tons of themes you can jump into without ever feeling like an asshole really yeah, totally you know and, uh, uh, and I also think it's one of the Hitchcock movies that ends the best yes. I think people forget a lot of the time for instance that Psycho ends with a 10 minute explanation of what we just saw you know yeah I mean Rebecca has a good ending but even like the birds ends with them being like the lovebirds didn't do anything it's like that's what this is all about a metaphor about how Tippi Hedren and Rod Taylor were harmless ultimately oh my god you know, yeah, you know, his movie, they always just end. I mean, I God, Becca and I talked about this for uh, we could have talked about it longer, but Vertigo, you know, Vertigo just ends, she yeah. falls off the, the thing, and then the nun is like, Oh, god, and and James Stewart's just like, Bye, yeah, then, <laughs> right, <laughs> it happened again, <laughs> oops, yeah. And I mean, I, I, um, I, you know, off off mic, I had a, con a very long conversation with a friend of mine, um, Alexander Philippe, who made the psycho documentary about the shower scene. Oh, right, and um. Um, he, Vertigo is his number one favorite film of all time. Kill him. So, no, I'm kidding, yeah. I know, right? And so when he listened to the podcast, he was like, I have so many things to say. So we had breakfast and we talked about it. And he thinks that ending is perfect. I personally still don't like it. Um, or um, it's um, uh, North by Northwest with the train going through, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. And also, I mean, literally, Eva Marie Saint is hanging off the cliff and he just pulls her off and the, pulls her up and it like dissolves to they're in bed together. It's just so many of his movies end that way. What's the, uh, the, man who knew too much like the kid is just delivered back to them you know <laughs> then we're done yeah yeah it's um and psycho 
Psycho has a, we haven't done Psycho on this show and I look forward to doing it, but that was just such a weird, I mean, well, and all, it's just the obsession with the cross-dressing and yeah. cross-dressing. And, You're like, and, can you believe it? He's a, he's a psychotic person who dresses in other people's clothes. That explains it all. Exactly. Yeah. And that's just so uh, weighted and heavy now. Right. Like just, we have to explain away the fact that he's a murderer because, oh, he wears <laughs> ladies clothes. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, come on. What an intriguing concept. Exactly. Yeah. And also, like, that's another situation because obviously Anthony Perkins is gay. So there's just this weird, like, who is this other species of person, you know? Yes. Doing it, crazy things on his own. Yeah. It, it's, um, yes, it's fascinating. For our audience, you can hear the, yeah, the fire alarms are definitely going off. Oh, wow. Um, but, you know, they've been doing that all day, even before the fire happened outside. Oh, wow. Um, so I apologize to you, Lewis, if you can, if it's incredibly distracting. Oh, no, I'm, I'm more focused than ever oh, now. Oh, good. Uh, okay, so everybody gets to add a movie to the list that is not on the list. Um, and so I'm curious, I can't wait to hear if you have one or two or three or however he, he, the, your the correct answer is I probably do have a hundred. Yes. But I... Just picked one that is a movie I constantly still think about. I constantly have to defend because it's part of a conversation where people pitted against another movie was up for an Oscar against that year. And oh. it's Ordinary People is one of a movie I would add to the top 100 list. I don't know what you feel about that movie. I've never seen it. Oh, well, let me tell you. I mean, I'll, me. I'll say this. Um, so it won the Oscar for Best Picture in 1980. Mm -hmm. It was up against Raging Bull famously. Oh, sure. So obviously the Scorsese heads, which by the way, more obsessed than ever. I get into fights with these people all the time. I still get people who reference me as the person who thinks Scorsese doesn't put good female roles in his movies. Guys, think about the movies. There's like four good female roles in them all together. I mean... I, I just watched uh, After Hours recently. The women in that movie are a joke. Who, 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 what do they think are good female I, roles? I'm very curious. I, I have no idea. I mean, I, look, I, Scorsese is very good at what he does. Yes. Um, but... I don't think of him as strong female characters. No, right. Uh, but maybe I'm missing something. I, I, I think I've seen all of them. Yeah. I don't think I'm missing I any. I believe you, know? you have. I like uh, Lorraine Bracco and Goodfellas and uh, Sharon Stone, and that's about it. And you know, Jody. yeah, that the one time. Isn't Chloe Grace Moretz in Hugo? We yes. can give her. Oh, my God. <laughs> Add that one to the canon. I'm going to change mine to Hugo. I fucking hate Hugo. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm... I'm I'm an Oscars obsessive, and when people are uh, uh, particularly bent on saying that Raging Bull is better than ordinary people, I'm like, but all we do is give best picture to movies like Raging Bull. Totally. If you look at the 1970s, right in a row, uh, uh, Patton, The French Connection, Godfather, The Sting, Godfather Part II, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, these are movies with zero or one women in yeah. them, where it's all about how gritty the men are, and we're yeah. obsessed with that and intrigued by them, and we're just following that, and that quality is what's ineffable and indelible about mm -hmm. them. Annoying, if you ask me. Ordinary People is like uh, kind of like Kramer versus Kramer the year before. Um, a quieter kind of family drama. I happen to be from the suburbs of Illinois where it takes place, so maybe there's an... Mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. um, but basically, uh, this kid played by Timothy Hutton, his uh, brother dies tragically, and then... He and he's sort of the least uh, less liked of the two kids in his family, mm. and the parents are basically dealing with the aftermath of that. The drowning has already happened before the movie starts. Sure, sure. So you realize it's this movie where it feels like nothing is happening, but it's actually a family being pulled in three different directions. Eventually, uh, Timothy Hutton goes and sees a psychiatrist played by Judd Hirsch. Mm. Um, everybody in it gets a moment to surprise you. Everybody in it gets a moment to be devastating, but also real. I love movies where. 
the unexpected occurs, but then you look back and realize it was inevitable. Yeah. That's how I feel about what happens in that movie. Yeah. Um, every performance is great. Mary Tyler Moore was nominated for Best Actress in that movie, which is weird because it's definitely a supporting role and I'm not... Not to stoke any fires with gay Twitter, but if she went in supporting that year, she would have beaten Mary Steenburgen. So I've, mm-hmm. I'm just saying that's a history we could have used. Mm-hmm. But um, Mary Steenburgen doesn't even care that she has an Oscar. You I, know what I'm saying? No, she sure doesn't. No, she's like, I'm st- I'll do whatever TV show you throw at me. I, I'm good at it, I, but yeah. I don't need an Oscar. I was about to say, she's in like, it wasn't, it's, whose mom is she? She's like every Will Ferrell mom in, in for, yes. like a, for like three movies in a row or something. Right. No, it, by the way, she literally, her TV credits right now are zany. I mean, she's just in everything. And she was, where was was she in Curb this season? No, right. Where I, I was yeah. shocked. I was like, oh God, Ted and Mary didn't really break <laughs> yeah. up, did they? <laughs> oh my God, I'll shatter right here. <laughs> I would not be able to handle it. But uh, no, Clark, uh, you've really got to see this movie. I would love to hear what you think uh, because it, it just, it's, it, it gets repression really well. This also happens to be a movie, nothing is gay about it explicitly, but I think that gay men love it mm. because it's about being a teenager unable to express something Mm -hmm. and wondering who it's going to alienate when you do. So he's having these conversations with people that are, he's trying to express something and then it becomes really stilted and he's, he regrets having said that he's trying to find a friend over here and that doesn't work out. So it's this movie that is pretty grim, but where it goes eventually is so satisfying. Mm. It is such a, and uh, Timothy Hutton won an Oscar for it deservedly. And it's Robert Redford. Yes. Yes. Who I normally don't think is like a director I crave or anything, but he's actually directed two of my favorite movies, this and quiz show, which I love. Mm, Of course you love. Yeah. Can you believe it? Yeah. Shock, shock of shocks. (laughs) But do you think, um, I, I, um, do you think that the Redford of it all is sort of why the Academy went for that one over Raging Bull? Potentially. Yeah. I, I mean, you're, there's always like a political angle to the Oscars that will be in a campaigning angle that will always grate a little bit. I can see people hating that. That said, this movie is completely warranted. I mean, you you can't you can be like, all right, I think Raging Bull deserved it more, and I think Robert Redford won it for this reason. That said, you cannot call it a bad movie. No, and I think I think it kind of goes back to that cabaret conversation where it's it's like you know you can get angry that uh, that Coppola didn't win or some of the acting awards went to the cast of Cabaret, but at the end of the day, it's not as though the Oscars were just being weird that year or whatever yeah, like that. Uh-huh. Like it's also an incredible film. Right. That's just it. I, I think maybe certain certain times we justify bad choices by the or we we say certain bad choices by the Academy are pure cronyism or whatever, but it's rare that something is in fact bad when they give true, it to something, you true. know? Yeah. And I think that's, that's a really important point. Like the idea of what greatness means, does greatness mean saving private Ryan or does greatness mean, you know, can greatness mean Shakespeare and love? Right, yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying that I go one way or the other on that one, to be honest with you, but I was watching, uh, saving private Ryan the other night for the first time. Oh, yeah. That movie mm. came out. I haven't seen it since high school. Yeah, exactly. It came out at a time. I was a little too young for it at the time. Um, but uh, And I remember thinking to myself, uh, not anything about the fact that that was not a great, that it wasn't a great film. But I remember thinking, you know, maybe that year, uh, well, obviously Harvey was Harvey Weinstein was very involved in the campaigning for Shakespeare in Law. Of course, yeah. Um, but I kind of thought, or the Academy just went happy that year. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, and right. And so it wasn't, and again, I, 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 I'm kind of hard on Shakespeare in Love. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember the last time I saw it going, all right, this is, this is kind of fun and uh-huh. cute. But, but yeah, so it's like the idea of what greatness means. Does greatness mean like gritty storytelling from Raging Bull or does greatness mean maybe a heartfelt family drama? Yeah. You know? I just feel like all the time when people are 
making these judgments about Academy slits or whatever, it comes down to men being like, I like the grittier thing. Totally. You know? And it's like, like this thing, like we're supposed to be ashamed. I just saw somebody else say that Kramer versus Kramer was the worst best picture winner in its lifetime. I'm like, really? In the, like rain man happened, what? you know? I mean, there's like so many other options. Weird. I think it's like, that's one of the definitive Meryl Streep performances. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you don't like her in that, I'm very curious where you think she is great. Oh, wow. I mean, even Dustin Hoffman is very good. In yes. That movie. I mean, I would even say, uh, contrarily, the worst thing about it is maybe this man gets all this room to be great again when he's such a dick. But that said, I still think that's believable. And what where, where that movie ends up is like a grown-up, interesting place, you know? Yeah. So I wanted to add, can I ask you about the, with regards to the Oscars? So um, I feel as though, and maybe it's because I'm living in the time, but I feel as though I have seen the Oscars get more and more political yeah. um, in my lifetime. And I often, since I'm a genre fan, I often am talking about the ideas that, like, Rosemary's Baby could have, like, was nominated for and won Oscars, like yeah. acting Oscars, you know? Or The Exorcist is nominated for a zillion Oscars, including Best Picture, um, and how that just doesn't happen now. Right. I mean, like, yes, this year, Get Out is is nominated and Shape of Water is nominated, and those are genre films. But, you know, I mean, I would argue that something like, I love the movie The Conjuring, mm -hmm. and I think it was a phenomenon because it resonated with a lot of people, and I don't necessarily understand why it couldn't have been talked about more. Now, I understand if there are movies that are quote-unquote better or more Oscar-worthy, but I guess my my point is that it feels like, oh, don't even, don't be ridiculous. Like, right. why, why would you, James Wan for best director? But I'm like, but The Exorcist, and I would argue they're both exceptional genre films. Totally. I think also something that helps movies like Rosemary's Baby and um, The Exorcist is they kind of play into the categories of the Oscars. Like, they're also acting moments. You know, it's like, totally. so these movies find other ways into the conversation, whereas if The Conjuring did, it would be really movie. Yeah, You know what true. I mean? Or, you know, effects or yes, something that, like that. Yes. And it's, I think it's pretty rare. I mean, like, it's sort of why I think I mean, it wasn't my favorite movie that year, but people are obsessed with Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, okay. Why it didn't, I think, have the legs to get Best Picture is because it wasn't competitive in other categories, mm. you know, besides the technical ones. Yes. You know. And it was so funny because I actually do remember that year, um, just it was nominated for so much. Right. And, and, it, and it won a handful, right? Yeah, totally. And, and so it was funny because I, I noticed as they kept saying Mad Max was winning these technical awards that I was like, well, it sounds like all the pieces that make up a movie we're yeah. the best movie of the year, but and yet we're not even talking about that this year. And so I kind of thought, huh, now that's interesting, isn't it? Or it's when um, a movie gets nominated, but the director doesn't. Right, and no, that's like, a whole other universe, <laughs> yeah. Which is particularly interesting now in this, you know, where there's like nine or ten Best Picture nominees and then five directing. You know, that's that's an interesting conversation. And then the idea of a movie winning without yeah. it getting a director nomination is very strange, yes. you know. But of course, I think it's also justified because the vote, the way we vote for Best Picture is different. Mm. You know, it's like you there's a tiered system and then like whatever gets the last place votes, those votes are given to somebody else, you know. Oh. So just like there, there's different math involved that can advantage certain movies. That's so interesting. Okay, last Oscars question for okay. you. Um, nine Best Picture nominations out of ten this year, right? Yes. Yeah, we had nine. Um, why do you think, I have my own theories, but let's say, let's just for argument's sake, unless you strongly feel differently, that Wonder Woman was on par with some of the less conventional Oscar choices sure. this year. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it got shut out? Interesting. I mean, like, I think people are sheepish about superhero movies in general. I mean, like, they, 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 they haven't historically gotten any acting nominations. Sure. They haven't... 
I mean, I mean, like, obviously people love them. Obviously they make a lot of money, but I think it, it, I would compare them to, and I, this is so conventional film Twitter, I apologize, compare them to Westerns of their sure. day, where there were a couple that ended up getting certain attention. But even like... Like the searchers didn't, you know, like it didn't, it didn't clean up at the Oscars or anything. So I almost just think people are sort of afraid to throw their weight behind uh, a genre movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's fair. I think I just was surprised in a year where, and by the way, I think Logan was divert. Right. Logan is somewhat closer to like, you know, there's a screenplay there that people love. Yes. And Mm -hmm. so that was sort of my, you know, um, and a lot of people would argue that Patrick Stewart should have been nominated, which I don't necessarily disagree with. I know it's a competitive year, but I felt like his performance was exceptional. Yeah. Um, But, um, but yeah, it just felt like, you know, Wonder Woman had so much heat and we were talking about, you know Jordan Peele being nominated for directing or or writing or and for his movie Get Out which he should be it's a great film and he did a great job with it but and and Patty Jenkins sort of being mentioned in that same camp and like you know look if we want to have an opportunity to celebrate um diversity or whatever different things at the Oscars here are two really good mainstream examples mm-hmm. of, of where they might deserve recognition and I just I was surprised that that 10th best picture nomination was there and uh, and Wonder Woman wasn't in the mix but then again I don't think WB campaigned yeah and so particularly yeah for for that category because there were still things like I, Tanya could have gotten in it could have been um, Florida Project you know but it wasn't so uh I, it's because I, I don't think anybody actively dislikes Wonder Woman. It's just mm. one of those things where it's also you get into the language of what is a snub when in fact it's just it didn't get as many votes as other things people liked. Sure. You know, yeah. And that's fair. I, I think too, what's fascinating to me is the Oscars are having and the Academy is having this active struggle to try and make it young and fun, like James Franco and Anne Hathaway hosting. And you're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> good guess. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you could just nominate movies that people like. Yeah, right. You know, and not the traditional Oscar movies. And so as we get into this year with, um, with the get outs and, and with, uh, Logan and all of that stuff, it's just, it just was strange to me that that one sort of got looked over. But then again, I mean, you know, look, it, it did fine and, yeah. and it's no one, you know, one and we're getting only. a sequel, you yes, know, of course. I, I, I'm, I'm always interested when people say like the Academy is losing relevance because if you look historically at movies that have won, it's like, it's not like the kids were clamoring around Tom Jones. Right. It's not like the kids were clamoring around the last emperor. Yes. So, and, and, and to be honest, a part of me is generally speaking, glad it is shoes doing things for popular. It's like, I hate the Grammys now, mm-hmm. which only pick things that are popular. Yes. It's like, what, why do we even have this anyway? You know, yeah. I still, what I like most about the Oscars is that it, creates a conversation around movies that don't have a conversation going otherwise. Yes. And now with uh, Get Out, I would argue, has a conversation about it going anyway because it, you know, it's an it's an urgent and awesome horror movie. But for instance, a move, one of my favorite movies of the past five years is the movie 45 Years with Charlotte Rampling. I haven't seen that one. Amazing movie. She was nominated and the guy who plays her husband in it, Tom Courtney, not nominated, also fantastic. But literally, this is a small-ass movie made by Andrew Haig who did Weekend mm-hmm. and the, uh, the show uh, Looking that if Charlotte Rampling didn't get a Best Picture nomination or Best Actress nomination, we would not be talking about this weird movie about an academic woman who realizes her marriage is a sham after 40 years. You know, it's like, 
again, it's like, I love the Oscars for that reason, where it's like, if I'm living in suburban Illinois, hint, I one time was, this is me getting a window into like an adult brain. Sure. This is me getting a window into like, maybe what my future is going to be like as a thinking person. Yeah. You know? So uh, 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 I'm always going to defend the Oscars for that reason. Mm -hmm. That said, it's like, you're right. We, we need to be, I think specifically the big hurdle they need to get over now is incorporating genre movies in a meaningful way. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And I, and hopefully, you know, hopefully Shape of Water setting that precedent or, or not setting the precedent, but Shape of Water this year, Get Out this year, yeah. Logan this year, you know, there are a handful that broke through. And so hopefully, fingers crossed, like that will encourage a more totally. open-minded view. Um, I felt the, that way about, um, about L. Oh, yes. I, Ama again, movie with no parallel. What movie is like that? You know, it's like, thank God they gave her a nomination, yes. you know? I saw that one at Fantastic Fest before it came out, or and, and knowing that it was going to be France's entry yeah. into their uh, foreign language, you know, uh, for the Oscars, and just going... Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just got, like I was like, I love this. This is my favorite thing I saw at Fantastic Fest this year. I think it's great. I think there's a lot of really dark. Uh, oh yeah, like sub problematic. Yes, yes, yeah. And and things that that I think you could have alternate readings. We should have a conversation off mic about that because yeah. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But the point is that I was watching it going, N -n 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 America is yeah. <laughs> not ready for this, and especially Oscar people who like my my mom's not approved, uh, but that's a bad example but my mom somebody like my mom who lives in Atlanta Georgia and you know is a country club lady cuts out of the newspaper all the Oscar nominees and tries to check them all off yeah right and and she did I think they did see Ellen she liked it and they loved Shape of Wire like again my mom's not a square but like I could just imagine people going okay and now for best actress yeah no like, no truly this? I mean like I think of myself as a pretty you know jaded LA gay guy <laughs> and me going in to see Elle there are certain parts where I'm just like I had no idea this was even doable yeah, yeah so it's so good well well, hopefully we've given the audience lots of food for thought and uh i'm so glad that you came on clark it was a dream i mean literally i've, I've always wanted to unpack rear window and we hit uh, we hit it all we did yeah. we did it all i feel great about it we unpacked it like torval and unpacked that suitcase yes that's right oh my gosh with rope because the lock is broken <laughs> exactly the lock is broken and uh lewis i didn't i didn't even introduce you which you know you'll get a good intro when this comes out uh but is a part of keep it which is a great pop culture podcast on on Crooked Media. Yes, yes, and yes. And I am a big fan. I've listened to all the episodes. Thank you. Um, and so if you enjoyed him talking pop culture uh, here, definitely give that one a listen. And writer for Billy. Are you writing still on Billy on the Street? They haven't announced a new season yet, but that was the, like the last show I did. I also wrote on TV Land's Throwing Shade. I'm, I'm doing the LA writer thing now, just trying to get on anything I, now. I love yeah. it. I'm, yeah. so, I'm so proud and impressed. And how could they not give Billy on the Street another season? I have to say, my first full-time season was last year, and that was the one that got the Best Variety Show nomination. No big deal. Uh, no big deal. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I love it. Well, it couldn't have gone to a better person. Oh, well, thank you. I love it. All right. Well, Lewis, thank you. And um, one, if, if you ever have some more free time, you know, come back and we'll do another one. Please, 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 please. All right. Deal. friends that's going to do it for us today i really hope you enjoyed this uh, conversation about alfred hitchcock's rear window with lewis Vertel. if you liked lewis's musings on entertainment and pop culture he is on the keep it podcast which is part of crooked media and that's all they talk about there it's a weekly show i think you will enjoy it his twitter musings are some of the very best uh, so keep your eye out for lewis because he is he's just one of my favorite people and don't forget that sending the wolf is bringing a live episode myself and a live episode to the 
the Terminus Conference and Festival in Atlanta, Georgia on June 15th uh, or June 15th through the 17th, 2018. If you're interested in joining us, I hope you will. I think it's going to be amazing. Uh, their past conferences have always been great and their guests have been top notch. Uh, you can get 30% off your all access badge if you use sending the wolf, all one word, lowercase, when you visit terminusevent.com. Uh, as always, the Patreon exclusive mini episode is coming this Thursday for $5 and above uh, contributors on a monthly basis. So keep your eyes out for that. Thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.